starting up with VirtuZone on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yeah, Neil and myself try and do our best to answer your questions over the course of the next 60 minutes, Thursdays 1 through till 2. But uh, if you've got questions any other time about getting your business started, about getting uh, your idea off the ground, how you can supersize it, uh, you need consultation, then reach out to VirtuZone. Basically, their social media, uh, their um, support system running 24-7. So reach out on any social media and don't forget to use the uh, hashtag hashtag be your own boss Neil alongside me this afternoon good week fantastic week and because we have uh, AI we're actually 25-7 now of course that yeah. efficient Tom so anytime you want to ask a question guys come and see us in Sukalbaha speak to our AI speak to our team whichever you prefer everything's available yeah, and it might be, you know, I've just mentioned there, it might be setting up your business, etc. But equally, we're very conscious of the fact that, you know, businesses are addressing a number of issues at the moment, none more so than corporate tax as well, all over that. Get tax ready. .ae. Look at that. Yeah. Eh? Easy to remember. Uh, uh, so good are they, and um, with the AI uh, computation... Even before you have a question, the que- they know the question already. So before you've even thought of a question, they've got the answer. So please do uh, get in touch with the team from VirtuZone. Neil's alongside me for the uh, latest edition of Starting Up with VirtuZone. And as always, as is tradition, we start off with our success spotlight. Guest today is the CEO of an app that does your laundry. That's how it started, at least. Now, though, his company is growing and it's launching new services. It is branching out. And he'd like to share his growth story with us today. And that's why we said, yes, please. Uh, He is, of course, the co-founder and the CEO of Washman, Rami Shah, with us here live in the studio. Rami, good to see you as always. Good to see you. Listen, um, Let's let's start at the beginning, if we can. Um, you have a, uh, a, a a brilliant LinkedIn profile. You have a brilliant CV, none more so uh, than working for a company that a lot of people will have heard of, Uber. Uh, been there, done that, taking the expertise and making it work in other areas. Uh, we've had a question in already. This one comes through from Elias saying, I'd like to ask Rami uh, where they got the idea of any time pickup and delivery instead of scheduled time slots and how did that help them grow? That sort of feeds into my initial question. Where did it all start and how did you grow? Okay, actually that's a great question um, from uh, the listener. But I'll go into kind of the history of you know how the idea started. It was probably around 10 years ago. I was working in banking and you know long hours, wearing suits and shirts on the, the regular. And it was just um, it was a hassle for me to get a good service that was reliable. Um, working long hours, going home late at night, right? I can't be there when the driver is there. Um, I have to be there at pickup and I have to be there at drop off so I can pay him in cash. So the experience was pretty broken and I felt, you know, the need to fix it. So I approached a friend uh, who just started off at Uber in 2014, gave her the idea and said, hey, um, how about you come on board? And I was still, I was in private equity at the time. And she's like, how about you come and join Uber um, (laughs) and learn a bit and see how you feel about your idea? So literally three days later, I had an offer from Uber. I quit my whole, you know, uh, I was on a career path. That's uh, in finance. That was quite good, and I give all that away for you know my itch to jump into the entrepreneurship world. 
So let's fast forward to the setting up of Washmen. I mean, you've you've just hit on there. You know, you saw a niche in the market, and that's, everyone always says that's well, that's the core of every great startup, every great business as well. You provide a service that is needed. Back to that question that was asked, because you there were similar services available, but you did things a little bit differently. That question: Where do you get the idea of any time pickup and delivery instead of that scheduled time slot? Is that through experience? Okay, I'm going to get a little technical on the product we and like how, how we kind of uh, built the idea. Initially, we had you know we have the problem of logistics. We don't want to come to the building more than once, right? So if you schedule something between three and four, and let's say Index Tower and DIFC, I don't want to be coming to that building like ten times because you know there's individual orders. So we started uh, with something called happy hour back in the day, which is specific time slots. We'll give you a discount, right? So we can pool the logistics in your area. So there's a whole algorithm that goes behind that. Then we started seeing that people were selecting the happy hour, even if it was like, say, three hours in advance and leaving their bags outside of their door, mm. right? And um, it was just kind of like the experience of fill the bags, which also helps because you don't need to see the driver. It tells each bag tells you the service. You schedule in the app and you leave it outside. And then over time, we realized, you know, this is a very special city, right? Uh, the safety um, is very high, right? You can leave your phone in the middle of Dubai Mall. We've seen those videos online. I walk around for two hours and nothing will happen. Same thing applies for your clothes, right? So since we started doing this at door, we call it asynchronous uh, logistics, where we don't have to meet the, the customer, we realize even down the line that it doesn't matter what time we come, right? It's all safe. It's all fine as long as it comes back. It comes back on the day requested. You're, you know, like say, uh, two days later, you come back from work from the gym, and then you see your clothes hanging outside of your door. That's that's pretty good as an experience. Mm-hmm. It's pretty seamless. Petchy, your thoughts on all things. Yeah, I, I, one of the things, Romy, that that uh, interests me is there's a number of different businesses that all depend um, upon delivery, pickup, and delivery. That all use algorithms. That all you know. So is is this something that you're thinking to diversify into something totally different that uses the same ability with data? Yeah. So the way we look at it is, it's you know we have a strong product to market fit for our product. And we keep iterating and focusing on making sure that, you know, that iteration on the product matches um, the market even more so. You mentioned the word niche, right? When you start off, you start off with, you know, the early adopters, people that you can really solve the problems for a specific niche. But as that niche widens, your product also changes to adapt for a bigger audience. So right now, I would say the answer to that is, no, we're very focused on on ourselves uh, we're focused on the region uh, and specifically the country dubai and abu dhabi you know there's a lot of pressure on when are you going to go to saudi when are you going to go outside and go international but our approach is focus so you're sort of half expecting you know cafu or a pizza company to say hmm dry cleaning this is something i'm interested in so it's i think you know for the entrepreneurs out there listening sometimes your competition comes from a totally different angle so it's, you know, it, it's sort of make sure that you are the disruptor rather than disrupted. Well, I think you, may, you hit the nail on the head and sort of leads us into this next. You know, when Washman launched, you were quite unique in many ways. A lot of competitors or would-be competitors there thought, they saw your success and went, wait, here's a market here. It's a, mu- a lot more competitive. How do you stay ahead of that competition now by diversifying the brand? Okay, so... You know, the way we look at competition is, you know, the way we've, we've experienced it. We've seen so many players raise a lot of money, come in and, and get out. Um, but we kind of, you know, 
keep our heads down focused. If there's something that the comp- competitor is doing really well, we'll take it, right, and apply it for ourselves. Um, but the way we look at it is we don't necessarily feel there's competition. We feel there's maybe competitors, sure, mm. but the competition is mostly with ourselves. Mm. So the, w- what I tell the team and my partner is, you know, we need to be the best version uh, we need to compete with the best version of ourselves, right? So if I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the next two months because I know the product roadmap, I know what we're launching, I know how it's going to improve the customer experience. Um, and that for me is, you know, is, is the motivator uh, Rami, to continue. Do you have different levels of service? So, you know, if someone's got an uber expensive dress and they want to pay a little bit more money to have something a little bit more uh, high end? Absolutely. So, we worked on a concept uh, we learned from, you know, some big names uh, in New York, in Paris, London, of providing a super high-end uh, luxury garment and couture uh, service. And um, we, we, we did a lot of research. We traveled quite a bit uh, to understand what, what is needed for that, for that bespoke service. And we launched um, the Finery, which is a new entity, um, a new culture uh, that focuses specifically on that. We launched that in July. Um, and it's uh, it's been quite great, and, th- and the way the way I look at it in terms of the value prop is you know you have something very expensive. So let's say you have a sweater that's a vicuña wool mixed with cashmere from Laura Piana. You, sp- you, s- you know you got it as a gift. It's a couple of thousand dirhams. Uh, you don't wash it as often, but you want to make sure that when you send it to the laundry, that anxiety, that fear of you know there's a bit of a gamble you always feel mm. right, and we want to eliminate that, and, I, and and we eliminate that by the first experience and then you, you you will understand what to expect in the future and the anxiety completely goes away. So there's a lot of consumer psychology that we really focus on. Um, I, I feel those things, right? Sometimes I send something and I'm, I'm really scared because I, I don't want to risk. Uh, and the process is quite manual. It's quite bespoke. Uh, we do have an insurance up to 10,000 dirhams uh, per item, right? If something goes wrong, uh, we take the responsibility uh, that way. And um, an expert will assess it. They will measure it multiple times uh, throughout the process from the beginning, document it, take a lot of pictures, and then suggest a, uh, um, multiple approaches to how to clean it, starting with the safest approach. Um, we will call the customer, right? We will listen to the customer and understand the story and the history behind the item, mm-hmm. right? When you say, you know, this is sentimental to me, this was given to me by my grandma, right? That, that, that's important for the customer to be able to say that, for us to show them that we understand and we're going to uh, take care of it, you know, in, in the ultimate way. And um, we usually take, it's not a rush service, uh, you know, a normal turnaround that washman is around maybe two days. This could take, you know, up to weeks, uh, depending on the item. But I would say the average turnaround is around five to seven days. So new services being provided by washman, um, not just the laundry people now going further than that as well. Business in transition at the moment, and is that throwing up sort of its own hurdles, its own challenges? Um, we're going through an interesting transition period uh, as, as a startup, uh, becoming an uh, SME, mm-hmm. right? So we've raised a total of $11 million uh, over the last eight years. And this last year was, I would say, the first year of break-even. Mm-hmm. And um, this year is actually the first real profitability year, which we're aiming to get around 20% in profit, mm. uh, EBITDA for those who know, uh, you know the finance, financial term. Um, so 20% EBITDA, and that brings in a lot of, you know, you change as a co-founder. Um, we, as founders, you change your yeah. mentality, your management style changes, the way you look out uh, to the future. So we're going through this, you know, 
we feel sustainable. We feel very secure, right? We're not dependent on external financing, which is quite relieving mm. uh, versus, you know, the mentality before that. Uh, what's your run rate? What's mm. your burn rate? You know, how many months do you have left? And you're fighting against the clock. So now we want to reinvest. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be making a couple of million dollars in profit uh, this year and, and, and next year even more so. And using that not to pay out dividends, but to actually reinvest. Um, and we envision ourselves, you know, as long as we're even here in the UAE without the need of expansion, uh, to be the department store for all things services. Mm. Not necessarily cleaning, it could be something else as well. Mm. So, Rami, at, at VirtuZone, we try and take as much control over the process as we can. We work with huge numbers of jurisdictions that have different ways to do things. Where we can standardize and have control of it, it helps us deliver the, the customer satisfaction that you're after. Same, same thing for you. As you're now starting to make profit, do you do you look, for example, at uh, um, the, the machinery? Is that something that you would, you would uh, own yourself or is it still an outsource model? So, so unfortunately, we raised equity to build out our uh, facility. So in the beginning, we were actually an asset light business model. Um, we use existing laundries and then we realized it was very difficult to scale. Each laundry had a, had a different standard and, and quality. And we needed to kind of centralize all of that. Uh, so we raised equity to buy all of that. We didn't have kind of like a financial history to be able to get loans or to go to our suppliers. And when we went to the suppliers, we were doing around 3,000 items per day in cleaning mm. on the outsource model. And we were telling them we're building a facility that's going to do 30,000 items. And the guys were like, you need to relax, right? This is a little too intense. You might be over-investing. And um, I think it was a little crazy. But now looking at things... We're kind of we've surpassed the mark where the the scale of the facility um, is bringing in economies of scale, and we're making money, right? Listen, we could go on for hours. Unfortunately, I've got red lights flashing. Producers are in my ears. We're running out of time. Uh, Very quickly, it's an extraordinary success story. It looks like it's going to run and run and run, as we've heard. Plenty uh, of news coming out of the pipeline at the moment. Um, I'm sure you get asked this all the time, Rami. If people want to find out more about Washman, where do they go? What do they do? Uh, So the website, washman.com. And you can email me, rami at washman.com. I'm always uh, in touch with our customers. I do a lot of phone calls. Uh, I, I, I would love for anyone to reach out. Look at that. There's a hands-on boss, isn't there, enough? Uh, good to see you, Rami, as always. Thanks so much indeed again for your time. You're always very giving with the time here for Dubai Eye. So thanks so much indeed for everything. Else. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Big Thank thanks you. to Rami for joining us. That, that is today's Success Spotlight. This is Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone. Business set up with no regrets. On Dubai Eye 103.8. No regrets whatsoever. Welcome back to Starting Up uh, with myself, Tom Urquhart, and Neil Petch, the chairman of Virtue Zone. Now, on with the show. And if you're looking to raise funds for your business, considering a crowdfunding platform, this one is a must-listen for you. Just stay in the car wherever you are at the moment uh, or turn it up at home. There's a new private equity crowdfunding platform that's completely tokenized, meaning it's on the blockchain. Now, before you turn off because of those uh, phrases, etc., and you don't really understand, worry not. We've got the man who can explain all. Um, I will put my hands up here saying I'm no expert. 
Petchy? Well, what I'm going to say is when you hear those words, you, some people would just turn off and say, yeah, 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 it's all talk. And, and when Web3 came along and a load of people raised a lot of money, it got a bit of a bad reputation. But it used some products and technology, which is still here and is now starting to be used brilliantly. And I think this is a huge opportunity for Dubai globally. And Scott's going to tell us about it. Neil right. knows what he's talking about, which is good. I can lean on him. But also, uh, as he said, as he mentioned, we've got Scott Teal with us as well, Managing Director of Toco, a company that tokenizes assets. Uh, Scott, bless you. Thanks so much indeed for joining us on Microsoft Teams. Great to see you again, uh, Tom and Neil. Uh, great to have you on board. OK, let's start with a little bit of a, a one-on-one, a little bit of a dictionary uh, corner, if we can. Uh, for those that don't understand it out there, what's tokenization? Yeah, so I think it's uh, it's a phrase that probably does uh, conjure up some 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 fear or some uncertainty. And really, what we're doing with tokenization is little more than the digitization of that which already exists. And so, what we're going to be talking about today, in particular, is tokenization of equities. So, the ability to take uh, a share ownership and put it into digital form. And that's that's really where I started the Toco journey. Was how do we actually? And I, I was working as a lawyer. How do we digitize the things that we create as lawyers? So, contractual rights, property rights. Uh, equity rights, whatever they might be. So really tokenization is just the, the digital transformation of rights as we as we already know them. And I think that's important for people to realise this isn't entirely new. It's just the digital evolution of that which we already know. But obviously with digital evolution comes uh, greater benefits in terms of efficiency, transparency and all the other good things that, that, that come along with it. So I think people need to understand this isn't crypto. Um, it's not the type of fundraising that we've seen that's raised some some concerns historically. Um, and that's because the, the tokens where they're represented, uh, you know, real world assets, things like equities, these are actually real real assets underlying the, the digital instrument. So the next one is crowdfunding. I think a lot of us can get our head around crowdfunding, but crowdfunding on the blockchain. How's that look and how's that work? So for anyone who has ever bought a crypto or an NFT, um, the the equity or the crowd. So crowdfunding is the process of seeking investment from a number of people um, to participate, usually in smaller bite sizes, in, in in investing in equity. So it's a form of private equity investment to be distinguished, I guess, from larger scale public market fundraising, IPOs, things like that, but, you know, the bigger companies that we see listed on traditional stock exchanges, for example. Now, what blockchain does is it brings uh, efficiency and transparency to this process. So while crowdfunding has typically, and crowdfunding is typically quite a clunky process from a regulatory perspective, I know we'll come on to VARA and what, what's happened in Dubai with, with the new regulatory framework. But you know, if you look at crowdfunding uh, rules in many countries around the world, it's actually quite a cumbersome, limited way of doing financing, whether, whether there are caps on the amount you can raise or the number of investors who can get involved. Uh, and so what, what tokenized equities allow us to do is, is similar to crowdfunding, uh, but in a way that doesn't have those uh, sort of traditional regulatory restrictions. Scott, let me make a statement and tell me if I'm right or wrong. So at VirtuZen, we're always trying to solve the pain point of our customers. Most of our customers are going to say, love Dubai for so many reasons, and then it gets difficult to get my bank account open. And then when I've got my bank account open, it's difficult to access funds. 
The opportunity that I see here for Dubai, and obviously Dubai through Toco and what you're doing with VARA, is there are traditional ways of, of raising money. Those ways depend on big banks with big buildings, with guys with big salaries, i.e. there's a middleman taking quite a bit of cost. This is an opportunity to do it more efficiently so that those entrepreneurs that are listening to this might be able to slightly more easily gain access to fund and those funds might be at a better rate. I think there's a lot in that, Neil. I, I agree. And I think what, what traditional finance generally, and it's not just the banks, but um, traditional financial services ecosystem really caters to a certain type of, of, of business, a certain size of company, a certain size of raise, a certain category of investor. And I'll maybe come back to that last point because it is critical with what VAR has done. Um, and what this technology and the new rules now allow is for people to participate in these um, investments in a way that they could. Actually, that's not quite true. You can do private equity investments today, but if you ask the average person on the investor side, how do you find a, a, an interesting, you know, fast growth um, startup company that you might be interested in investing in? It's really hard. They're not. They're not. There's not a lot. Not a lot of transparency. There's no. There's no place to go to find these companies. On on the flip side, if you're one of the you know people within those fast growth companies looking to access capital, if TradFi is not providing you with um, access to that. How do you find the VCs or other traditional financing uh, mechanisms to do it? Now, what what the platform is that we're, we're now building and really excited about working with VirtuZone on is to provide an opportunity for connecting those people with the money that might be interested and those people who are looking to raise money uh, and, and release some equity in exchange for that. And that's the piece. It's really the disintermediation of those traditional financial services sort of mechanisms uh, and also the blockchain itself will then allow greater transparency and, you know, you'll be able to come onto the TOCO uh, website. You'll be able to see, you know, fantastic VirtuZone-supported companies that are now at a certain phase in their life now. Yeah, so, Scott, let's uh, – sorry to interrupt, but let's take – we yeah. just we just had Rami uh, on uh, just before you, and, and he's got a, a brilliant product, Washman, great brand. He's trying to grow, and he, and he was complaining about the difficulty of accessing funds. So there's someone – he's just moved into profit. He's got a five-year history. He's moved into profit. He's making net profit. How can he use our, our joint venture between Toco and VirtuZone to grow faster? Yes, yeah, so that's a great. It's great to put a real, real example around it, Neil. I'm assuming that's a VirtuZone company that you're supporting, yeah. and so what we can do is obviously then look to you know bring that company onto the platform, uh, provide the documentation that supports. You know, this is the data room. What, one of the things we do with Toco that's quite different to others is we put the deal into the token. So as an investor, you'll be able to see all of the things that you would otherwise have to go and find in a data room, and there may not even be a data room for smaller private companies. So we'll be able to create that, you know, that that information flow so that people can make decisions. They can see, you know, you mentioned cash flow positive, for example. They can see that, you know, the financial accounts can be made available, for example, to investors through the, through the platform so they can see what they're investing in. And then they'll be able to come in, AML, KYC, so we onboard them, as you would expect, as a regulated entity. And then they'll be able to invest in a fractional form and buy by shares in, in, in you know in the form that, that we agree so with Rami, so Rami is potentially reaching ten thousand investors, let's say. 
Um, yep. and, and the advantage to him of that is if it's just one investor, um, the investor really goes for a really, really tough deal benefiting the cash. So he might get a yep. slightly better deal. Those 10,000 investors would normally not have the opportunity to get in on a deal like this. Um, yep. And it's very transparent as to the business that he has and, and the, the, the strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's a different, I mean, it's a different model, isn't it? I mean, you've got maybe one or two VCs coming into an early stage round like that versus being able to say to the world at large, who's interested in having a piece of this company. So it opens up a new source of investment funds for a company like that. Um, and it opens up a new asset class for those investors who are interested in directly uh, accessing something like that. So that, that that's really the, the advantage that the technology brings. Scott, we could talk for a lot longer. Unfortunately, a time is against us on this occasion. Uh, but uh, thankfully, uh, you're very much uh, set up here in the UAE, here in Dubai at the moment. Yep. Uh, you've done that with the support of the Dubai Virtual Assets Regulatory Authority, VARA. You've done it with the support of VirtuZone. Big question uh, from many of our listeners is, um, fascinated, want to find out more. So how do people go about that, Scott? Okay, so we do have a um, a website, to, website toco.network, where there is some information about about this. Um, I think more relevant, I think, to the topic here is we will be launching the the portal with VirtuZone. We've now identified, really exciting, the first the first company that that will be tokenized and equity released. Um, that will be probably over the next six to eight weeks, um, and again, that will be advertised throughout through our website and no doubt through VirtuZone as well. So, you know, it's uh, it's not tomorrow, but in the, in a matter of the next few weeks, the first company will be coming on, and then a series of other other businesses thereafter, uh, and then the ability for investors to come on and be you know go through the KYC process, yeah. and then start investing. Scott, got to leave it there. Bless you. Thanks so much indeed for your time. Lovely to see you as always. Scott Teal is the MD of Toco Tokenization Platform. Joining us live on the line. They're in partnership with VirtuZone. Uh, good to have them on. You're listening to Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and VirtuZone. Business setup with no regrets. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Yeah, Tom and Neil with you through until 2 o'clock this afternoon. Now, if you're a business owner, you're probably focused on your company's operations, making sales and reaching your targets. But it's not all about the numbers. Remember that. Building a business requires building relationships, and that only happens when people actually like and trust you. Joining us now, etiquette coach to the stars. Zhu joining us live in studio, has uh, trained many entrepreneurs, in fact, so many entrepreneurs, on how to conduct themselves in meetings and other important interactions that impact their business. And she's going to give uh, us a business etiquette crash course. So, Zing, thank you so much indeed for joining us. Welcome. Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you. I'm very glad to be here. So when I talk about business meeting etiquette, the first thing I teach people is always about how to create the best first impressions. And here's my question for you. How long does it take to actually have for someone to have a first impression of you? So uh, the only answer I've got for that is something I learned from Richard Branson. So he says he gives somebody 30 seconds. Okay, okay. It's actually shorter than that. Two seconds. Stand, Stand up. The most popular belief is seven seconds. But some studies even show that it's even less than that. It could be a tenth of a second. And within that seven seconds, not a lot can be said. So I want to teach some everyone about this rule, which is 55, 38, and 7, which is that to make up the first impression, 55% comes from visual. So your body language, your physical appearance, and 38% is your voice. Only 7% is your verbal. So your nonverbal communications is really important. 
So if you look good and you sound good, you can literally turn up somewhere and go, blah. <laughs> literally. And there's science proof behind that. Have you ever heard of halo effect? Which basically says if we see someone who looks very good, we tend to assume some good qualities about them. As you can see, as humans, we're not very reliable judges. Uh, whoa, whoa, hang on. Uh, okay, so that was going to be my first check about business. Surely business etiquette is changing. I mean, we've just been talking to a couple of startups. This is a show that's dedicated to startups. Invariably, people come in here in scruffy jeans and trainers <laughs> and t shirts. Gone are the days that it was a th- three piece suite, a, a suit, and, um, and, and, and clean hair. Given that the sort of workplace and the work environment is changing is etiquette changing at the same time or not i think one of the first things i want people to consider is that you always want to dress the part dress the way you want to be addressed and if you think about it a lot of people say we shouldn't judge a book by its cover but as humans we do exactly that it's in our innate nature to come into some assumptions very quickly based on some judgment so and also if you dress up very nicely you make you feel a lot more confident and therefore, you can always present the best version of you forward. It's music to my ears, see. I mean, I, I think that in businesses where we're increasingly in a competitive world, where people are learning more than they used to, how do you stand out? And how do you stand out without having to spend huge amounts of money? And there's a bunch of things that you have within you. It's so easy, in, in my opinion, because people are more relaxed about what they wear, if you wear a suit, it's, it, it's easier to stand out than it used to be and yeah. to show people respect. Absolutely. Showing respect is so important, right? Absolutely. We look polished and professional. People would think you are polished and professional. And it's not just a sign of self-respect. It's also about respect to people around you as well. Dress smart, think smart. Something yeah. my grandmother always told me. Not sure if it's worked for me, but... Uh, um, well done, Gran. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly not by the end of the night, that's for sure. Nothing smart by then. But um, talk to me. Okay, we've talked clothes. We've talked voice, the importance of voice. Um, Greetings. COVID might have changed the way we greet people. So what is the sort of de rigueur etiquette of greeting these days? Absolutely. So greetings is a very culture-specific topic. A different part of the world, it could be an air kiss, it could be a handshake, it could be nose kissing, it could be just waving. So it depends. But the most common greeting in the business world is a handshake. So now I'm going to teach you how to have the most perfect handshake. (laughs) So first of all, handshake is a thumb joint to thumb joint contact. And how many pumps do we have two to three pumps, and you don't want to have wet hands. Palm. Thumb joint joint to thumb joint contact. You don't want to have wet palms. And how firm should your handshake be? You don't want to have those bone-crushing handshake because you come across as aggressive. But also, if your handshake is too limp, it shows that you're not confident. And here's another question for you. When two people meet for the first time, who should extend the hand first? The, The host? Right. Do you want to take a guess, Tom? Well, I'll go it's against It's not that Neil. one, so go with something else. a guest. <laughs> so it's actually depending on if it's a social situation or business situation. In a social situation, age and gender matter. So ladies would extend hand in front of a gentleman, yeah. and an older lady would extend hand in front of a younger lady. But in a business world, age and gender do not matter. All there is is the rank. So the CEO should extend the hand in front of the graduate trainee. And that's something we all need to know. Wow. I love that. I didn't know that. I, I absolutely <laughs> love that. And I, I, and I think 
showing humility, mm. the more important, can I say important? You say important. The more senior, the more gray hair you have. Um, you know, if you do make a point of, of showing that, I think it's appreciated. <laughs> Um, Zian, can I can I can I impart upon you? If that's, why am I speaking like a sort of nineteenth-century gentleman all of a sudden? Uh, may I ask you? Is, are you okay to stay with us for a few minutes? Is of that course, okay? absolutely. That's absolutely. very kind of you. Thank you very of much course. indeed. I thank you very much for that. Um, we are going to uh, get more advice. We're getting a lot of questions coming through. We want to get a bit of meeting advice as well. So that's coming up in just a few moments' time. You're listening to Starting Up with Virtue Zone. More etiquette and etiquette crash course coming your way next. This is Starting Up with Tom Urquhart and Virtue Zone. Business set up with no regrets. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Yeah, Team VZ being represented by NP, the chairman, Neil Petch, in the house. Sounds like a wrap, doesn't it? Um, we are talking all things etiquette. We'll be giving it a little bit of an etiquette crash course this afternoon on Starting Up with Virtue Zone. Zing Zhu is the etiquette coach to the stars with us here in studio. And we were talking about some of the, uh, the, the the different skills. You were sort of pointing us in the right direction a few moments ago. Let's bring it to a meeting scenario, if we can. Um, business meeting first, do's and don'ts. Okay. So the first thing for the do's is to put your phone away. This little gadget we all have here. Can you guess how many times we touch our phone every day on average? Oh, goodness. 2,617 no times. Absolutely, including the time you tap and swipe. So during a business meeting, you don't want to touch that. And also, a lot of people put it on silent and put it on the table. That's also not a good idea because if the phone vibrates or if there's light and if there's notification, you're distracting other people. So the first thing, put your phone away. Secondly, the concept of time. And that is very culture-specific. If you're having a meeting with people from, let's say, Switzerland or Japan, being late for one minute, one minute is extremely rude. But in other parts of the world, it could be a little bit flexible. Yeah. But the key here is that you always want to be showing up on time. Because if you don't, you're not respecting the other person's time. You're saying your time is more valuable than theirs. See, I'd like to come back to your, your first point, phones, he says, hiding his, his, <laughs> his phone. You know, if you get something right first time, you don't have to go back and address it. And one of, of the problems and opportunities in our business, for example, is because we're dependent on huge numbers of process. So I'm trying to drill into my team, get it right first. I mean, I was in a meeting, there were about 12 of us uh, the other day, and, and someone was sending a message whilst I was talking, and they said, but I'm working. I said, no, you know, if you actually put all of you into this, then we'll get a much better result. And actually, so from a time management point of view, it makes, it's not just about etiquette, it's time management, it's efficiency. And yes, it, it's also respect. Absolutely. And actually, science studies have shown that if your phone is in your sight, it actually consumes more mental space. It yeah. makes you more easily distracted. So it doesn't serve you well. So phones timings the things to remember when it comes to business meetings uh, let's say the business meeting goes well and then the potential employer says you know what i like you do you want to join me for lunch how do you maintain or how do you make sure that you've still got the job by the end of the lunch absolutely and that is why dining etiquette is so important so so first of all, you want to practice the most basic table manners. A lot of people think, okay, well, I know that I have to chew with my mouth closed. I know how to use a knife and fork. Then I know etiquette. But it's actually far more than that. Henry Ford has a very famous hiring test. 
Before he hires anyone for jobs, he would take them out for lunch. It's one thing if this candidate does it, he would not hire them. Which is if they season the food with salt and pepper without tasting it, <laughs> because people who does that are the people who jump into conclusions without any sort of assessment of the situation. Uh-oh. As a very simple example, I'm fired. <laughs> yeah, I know dip, dipping your sashimi into the soy sauce and adding wasabi, the chef throws you out. That's it. I'm fired. I'm gone. <laughs> so here are a few etiquette quiz questions for you both, if you're ready. Well, Zeke, I'll just tell you something. My <laughs> my course. mother is listening, and if my Ooh. daughter is listening, and because <laughs> she's already told me off about using my phone too much, then I'm in real trouble. So, mm. it, would it be correct etiquette for me to bribe you to help me beat Tom in this quiz? <laughs> well, it's a bit too late, Neil. <laughs> okay, first things. The correct. Oh, we're out of time. Uh, right. <laughs> Very quickly. Yeah. Well, we're using napkins. Which part of the napkin should you be using? Should you be use the outside of the napkin or the inside of the napkin? Outside. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll go inside. You, you managed to yes. go first. You should only use the inside of the napkin <sighs> to dab your mouth. It was a 50-50 chance and I knew I could depend on you to be wrong. Because you don't want people to see the stains from outside. And also, when you're done with a meal, where should you place your knife and fork? Ah. In the middle together at the same time. Exactly what he said. Absolutely. Very well done. On the plate, in the middle together. Okay, some options to avoid when you're ordering for a business lunch, or you should order. Is spaghetti a good idea to order Uh, in a business lunch? Very bad idea. Oh, very good. Why is that? You're going to spill it on your white Mm. shirt and you're going to slurp. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's hard to look elegant when you're eating spaghetti. Depends how well you're getting on with the person you're having a meeting with, you know, because right. you could do the old lady in the tramp, you know, spaghetti between the manners <laughs> and things like that. And, and, and uh, Tom, what sort of business meetings do you go on? <laughs> a sort of radio lunch? These media meetings are crazy. <laughs> and other things like spinach, broccoli or sweet corns, we want to avoid because they might ruin your smile. We've got so, one for you, Zizi. Please. When you're eating soup. Yeah. Are you allowed to tip the bowl, and if so, which way? Oh, well, the correct etiquette is that the you should not really be tilting the bowl. <laughs> you should just be able to scoop the soup from the soup bowl. And which direction should you scoop the soup? Always away from you. Unless oh, we are out of time on this occasion. I did lose a straw, and or just pick the bowl slept. up. <laughs> Um, Zim, listen, thank you so much indeed. Some great uh, insight. Not enough time. We'll get you back for another uh, uh, lesson, that's for sure. If people want to find out more, what do they do? Yeah, they can go to Instagram and find me on Zhu Etiquette and also on TikTok. Zhu. Lovely to connect with you. Great everyone. to have you. Thank you so thank much you indeed so for your much. time today. Uh, Neil, enjoyed that one. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you kindly, sir. Are we, are we dismissed? Can uh, we get down and, from the until table? Until one o'clock next week. Have we got clean plates and we can get down from the table? <laughs> we can get down from the table. <laughs> Permission has been granted. Uh, thank you very much indeed to Mr Neil Petch. Thanks to all the team from Virtue Zone. Thanks to all the team down here at Dubai I-103.8, starting up with Virtue Zone. Back next Thursday from one. Till then, bye-bye.